Hi everyone, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Diana Silva. We hope you have your Keurig's running, coffee cups in hand, and frother ready. This week's episode is sure to get your caffeine levels up. We have the opportunity to speak to the co-founder of Birch Coffee, Jeremy Lyman, about the vision behind Birch, the idea of community in his company, and the anticipated changes for his business in the upcoming months. So take a trip with us to Hell's Kitchen as we delve into one of Fordham Lincoln Center's favorite coffee hotspots. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. We are now joined by co-founder and owner of Birch Coffee, Jeremy Lyman. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me, Kate and Diana. It's good to be here. Okay. So I just want to ask you um, to hear more about the vision behind Birch and how it went from a shared dream between you and your co-founder, Paul Schlater, to a business with locations all across New York City and then dozens of retail partners. You know, Paul and I both worked in the industry for many, many years. I think we, we like to say between the two of us, we have probably about 40 years experience in, uh, in this industry. Yeah, I've been doing it since I'm about 18, 19. He's been doing it since he's about 15. So we, we both worked in restaurants. We didn't have much experience with coffee, but we both enjoyed coffee. And we wanted to kind of create an experience where there was a lot more of a focus on the actual customer experience as opposed to like just focusing on a, a good quality cup of coffee. We found that we couldn't get both. Uh, we found it was either, you know, highbrow, really good coffee and really terrible service or the opposite. That was what we were really striving for. I think from the very beginning, um, you know, it took us a little while to kind of get our footing, but uh, that's that's been our, our major, major focus. And I think we have some of the best coffee in the city, uh, but I think more most importantly, we have um, our our teams are outstanding. I think every time people go in, it's it's very rare that we get uh, negative feedback. Um, and plus, we do we have the ability to kind of build a rapport with with our customers so that they do feel comfortable letting us know when they've had a bad experience, uh, which I think is something that um, most often doesn't happen. I think people just disappear, and every once in a while, you're kind of like, oh, whatever happened to to Mike? Where do you go? And we don't know because, you know, he never said anything. So uh, we have that ability and, and that's been something that's helped us kind of learn from our past mistakes and, and just continue to, to move forward and grow. Definitely, at least for me, when I think about Birch, I just think about how focused you are, like on the idea of community and everything from like your coffee cups to your napkins. It really encourages people to connect with each other and strike up a conversation with each other rather than just kind of going in and hunkering down with a laptop and headphones and that kind of thing. But obviously that became so much more difficult to do starting in March of last year when spending time in coffee shops and making connections with new people just was no longer a safe thing to do. So how has Birch managed to kind of stay true to this really fundamental desire to help people connect in the context of a pandemic? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question and it's it was definitely a challenge in the beginning. Uh, we shut down for the first two months. So 
being able to kind of maintain that sense of community, I, I think that was probably the hardest thing to really do because, you know, for the most part, most of our interactions were uh, through a window. I mean, everyone's wearing masks. You can't really see who's who. But I think the most important thing from the beginning was making sure that our customers felt uh, that we had their best interest um, at heart. And so we just changed protocol. We just, we developed an app so that people can order in advance and then just kind of come and pick it up. So the focus wasn't necessarily on how are we keeping a community kind of tight knit because that was very, very difficult, but it was how are we keeping customers happy? How are we, you know, most people are stuck at home and they're not leaving their house. And so if they do go outside, it, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that if we're the only interaction that they have with another human being during the day, that it's as positive as, as possible. So just, you know, being empathetic and we're all, you know, we've all been in a very similar situation the last year. And so uh, just focusing, our, our focus like always is, is being empathetic and how are we being as empathetic as possible? Um, that's kind of the name of the game for us. And that was just very much heightened this past year. So, you know, it was, I mean, certainly a challenge um, and making all customers feel accommodated uh, you know, we had people who would didn't want to wear a mask when they came inside the store. And, you know, it was a, it was a difficult thing to kind of navigate. And by offering up a pickup app where people can kind of just place their order and come pick up their stuff, it's they didn't want to wear a mask, then, you know, that was we wouldn't engage. We wouldn't take their order because of, you know, uh, potential risks. But um, we, we tried to be as accommodating as, as we could. Hey, yeah. So with these adaptations that you've had to do with the pandemic, Birch has still been able to expand your locations across all Manhattan. And then recently you've been expanding to some of the other boroughs and to even LaGuardia Airport. And for us students here at Lincoln Center, the Birch location we all know and love is the one in Hell's Kitchen, yeah, just a few blocks away from campus. So how is it that you adapt each Birch location to suit the needs of the neighborhood that it's located in? You know, there's, I think, you know, you had, Kate, you had mentioned kind of the things we do with our cups and our napkins. And our, our goal is always to be as engaging as, as possible. You know, when we're looking for a neighborhood, it's, we look for places, areas that are a bit underserved as far as good coffee. Uh, we try not to open up, you know, we're not going to open up, you know, next door to another like decent specialty coffee shop but also a business. And so we're trying to generate as much, as many customers as we, as we can, because we wouldn't be able to sustain ourselves otherwise, you know? So we look for neighborhoods that kind of are generally a mix of, of residential and commercial, but you know, we've had to take a really hard look at that because I don't necessarily think that that's as sustainable right now you know commercial areas are like the stores that we have in commercial areas are they're devastated i mean they're not you know some of them potentially won't reopen so it's been a challenge for sure to kind of get the right balance uh, typically we look for you know we have a store on 62nd street uh, and lex which is a really nice mix of uh, commercial and residential and it, it's a very busy store um you know 57th street and hell's kitchen it's also it's a pretty decent mix of commercial and residential. So, um, and, you know, per square foot, that store does does fairly well as well. So, uh, you know, it's um, 
we obviously we like to be an outlet for people to come to uh, if their only other options are you know the big bigger name brands but there's and we spend time we go there and we sit outside with a clicker and we just count how many people are walking by like we, we pay attention to that stuff before we open uh, because the truth of the matter is too it'll cost me the same to build out a 300 square foot store in a super busy area as it would in a super slow area and so you know the only difference there is my rent is higher in the in the you know more dense area but i'm still spending the same amount so i'm going to generate more revenue it's going to be um, I'm, it's going to be easier for me to pay off what you know what we've spent to build that location so there's a lot of there's just a lot of factors that kind of go into where where we look uh what we try to do so it kind of seems more and more people who left at the beginning of the pandemic and went wherever and college students and that kind of thing are returning to New York this summer and anticipate returning in the upcoming fall. And a little bit, we're feeling hopeful that we're kind of turning a corner with the pandemic. And you mentioned that some of your locations haven't reopened yet and you're not really sure if those locations are going to reopen, but do you expect that business will change or you'll be returning more to kind of a business as usual um, structure in the near future? That's a good question. I, you know, I, I don't think business as usual uh, will be the case until I think fall of 2022. That's what I think. So, um, but I, what do I know? I'm, I'm a coffee guy. So, uh, you know, it's we're seeing an uptick for sure. Summer is typically a slower time of year, uh, but I am hopeful that people are very anxious to kind of get out and about. And so potentially we'll see a pretty stable summer. Um, I think things will come back a little bit in the fall, but you know, there are a lot of things that we need to kind of take into account as far as reopening and you know, what rent looks like and are we able to afford it? What are we able to afford? What are we able to work out with landlords? Um, you know, we're hopeful that the stores that are in more commercial areas will start to see an uptick in people going back to the office. I think fall will be much better than, than the summer, but it, again, it's just kind of riding it out and making sure that it, it just has, it has to make sense across the board, you know, cause we're also, you know, we have to be as conservative as possible when it comes to, we can't lose money. So it's, it's just kind of a wait and see. And we're just, we're kind of rolling with the punches, as I say, and just seeing what happens. And, you know, we're not putting too much pressure on ourselves, which I think is really important. Um, you know, if we if we can open something up, we'll we'll open it up. Um, but you know, a lot of times, I mean, I remember when I like the idea of saying, "Oh, I have ten coffee shops." Just you know, as far as like you know what I do for work, but it's it's not about that. It's it's not about the quantity. It's just about the quality of the experience that people get uh, when they come in. And you know, staffing staffing the stores has been a bit of a challenge. You know, we, we didn't necessarily think it would be as big of a challenge as, as it has been. But, you know, we want to make sure that the stores that are open, they're functioning, getting getting people as good an experience as possible um, instead of just like, you know, flippantly opening a store just so that we can have a store open and not necessarily have the best experience possible. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot that goes into um, every single reopening. And, you know, again, it's conversations with landlords, making sure that everybody feels comfortable and, and we can do so in a safe and, and efficient way. So what I've noticed with this whole 
process of you know birch and their history and what you put into your business is there's a lot of detail that goes into it and you're very meticulous about what you choose and and how you think about it so i guess what i'd like to ask you is what makes birch unique from other new york coffee shops so what makes birch unique from other new york coffee shops you know i think aside aside from the service which i think is something that absolutely allows it to stand out on its own it's almost like the store has its own voice um, and I think that's something like the brand has has kind of a voice and people can actually connect with it. A lot of the design and the, you know, the branding that we do and the bags and the cups and the napkins, everything is very well thought out. And it's meant to really just kind of acknowledge the, the you know, our customers on, our, on a regular basis. You know, if you notice on our hot, you know, on our hot cups, when you put the sleeve on, it actually changes the design of the cup. And it's not necessarily something that people notice right away, but they eventually notice. And it just kind of, we just want to make somebody smile. Like if we can make somebody smile, we've, we've done our job. So, um, you know, I think that's probably the other biggest piece is that the, the, the brand, the coffee shop itself has actually, um, I feel like it has its own voice, which people, which resonates, I think, with a lot of people. Great. Yeah, that does it for us. So Diane and I were talking before this interview, just like how much we love Birch. And I've reached first name status with the baristas at the Hell's Kitchen location. So that makes me feel very special. Uh, So we were really excited that you were able to come on and we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This has been Retrospect. Thanks again to Jeremy for joining us today. Supporting our local businesses is more important than ever these days. We hope this episode encourages you to rethink where you go to buy your next cup of coffee. Skip the chain and make the choice to support local instead. Until next time, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Diana Silva. If you're in the area, stop by Birch and see what they have brewing. <laughs>